bottom, suffering is identification with desire. And it's caused by attaching to the idea that reality, big reality, should be different from how it actually is. An example, you really want to be eating a scone at your favorite coffee shop, but instead you're in an ill-lit tiny closet trying to follow your breath. Suffering. You desperately want this old Indian dude to end his off-pitch foreign chanting and singing for the love of God, but you can't mute the speaker. Suffering. In either case, your frustration, another word for suffering, stems from a mismatch between your fantasy and reality. And that mismatch often creates a desire. Desire can be broken into two categories, craving and aversion, likes and dislikes in a way. Either you want reality to include something you believe it lacks, in this case, scones, or you want reality not to include something you believe it already has, in this case, singing in foreign languages. Every experience of suffering includes both. Every craving for a scone hides an aversion towards not having it. Any aversion towards an old Indian dude singing in Pali implies a craving for either silence or a different sound altogether. These are still only surface-level truths, so let's dig deeper. You believe you want a scone, but really you want the sensations that arise from eating the scone. The absence of a scone doesn't cause suffering. It's merely a thought, more symbolic than literal. That is, the scone is actually a psychological stand-in for something more physiological. Wait, say that again? You don't really want the scone. You want the rush you get in your body from smelling, tasting, and ingesting the scone. You don't really want the old Indian dude to stop chanting. You want the feeling of restlessness in your chest to go away. This can seem like an arbitrary and unimportant distinction at first. I certainly used to think so. But now I'm convinced that it's not. In fact, I'm convinced that this understanding, once fully embraced, changes the context of all human experience. It adds a new dimension to every single preference we have, every single decision we make, and every single interaction we partake in. Oh, and it provides a loophole out of suffering. More on that later. Okay, so all of these mental phenomena, all of these thoughts, eventually manifest as physical sensations on the body. Every single one of them. Even ones that happen subconsciously, like uh, light clenching in the jaw from seeing the day's to-do list. A subtle uproar in the gut from the mere suggestion of skydiving. The warm and fuzzies from the brief thought of a lover's smile. Mild heat in the body from misinterpreting someone's comment as criticism. For better or worse, every word or image understood by the mind, favorable or unfavorable, consequential or inconsequential, is both contextualized by an upstream sensation, that is, body to brain, and eventually results in a downstream sensation, i.e. brain to body. An example of all of this. Let's say you claim to want the newest Tesla car model. Why? 
a whole host of reasons. Maybe you want to live carbon neutral. Maybe you want your road trips to be safe and automated. Maybe it's the status symbol of owning a luxury car. Perhaps you think the design is sexy. An infinite list of possible stories here could be generated, but none of them fundamentally answer the question. Desiring carbon neutrality, a smooth journey, heightened status, and beauty are only apparent truths. The real reason is in your body. You are craving pleasant sensations from, say, high morals, boosted security, improved reputation and sleek designs, and you're averse to the unpleasant ones often coming from hypocrisy, danger, ill repute, and asymmetry. Another quick example. Let's say you desperately want to get out from under the crushing thumb of the system. Why? Well, isn't it obvious? They discriminate against me and my people. They favor the other side. They don't have my best interests at heart. These are just beliefs, though. Nothing more than words on a page and thoughts in a mind. Instead, by going deeper and paying close attention to what's happening in the body, As these ideas come online, it will be discovered that thoughts of inequality, lack, and division tend to create unpleasant sensations, and thoughts of fairness, abundance, and unity tend to create pleasant ones. Still not convinced? Stop reading for a moment and go through literally any reason you've done anything this week, or in your life for that matter. Why did you drink water? eat, or sleep? Why did you exercise or not exercise? Or flush the toilet? Or stop the microwave one second before the beeper went off? Why did you start listening to this essay? We tell ourselves that we want X or Y when what we really want are the sensations we think will arise from having or not having X or Y. In fact, if we follow any explanation rabbit hole far enough, we will always end with this as an actions motivator. We wanted it to eventually either bring or take away some kind of pleasant or unpleasant sensation in us. Envy, revenge, control, uncertainty, pride, belonging, autonomy, curiosity, empowerment, eating fast food, creating something new, getting a degree, scrolling and posting on social media, making more money, getting married and having kids, investing in the future, asking for a hand job, going for gold at the Olympics. All desires are rooted in the phenomenology of sensation. Sensation, sensation, sensation. This is where things start getting good. Why do you want pleasant sensations? Or why don't you want unpleasant ones? And why do certain stimuli generate pleasant feelings while others trigger unpleasant ones? We could probably tell a story of psychological conditioning. In the case of the Tesla, maybe your desire was subconsciously caused by their clever marketing campaigns. Or maybe it was because of an article you read about the existential threat of climate change. Or maybe it has to do with your culture's values. Shoot, maybe Elon Musk paired up with Bill Gates to implant a mind control chip into your body via the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. 
Then again, perhaps it's more accurate to tell the story through the lens of evolution by natural selection. More carbon emissions means more environmental catastrophe, means increasing the likelihood of your death, means stopping the spread of your genes, all of which is no good. On the opposite hand, higher perceived status from cruising in an expensive electric vehicle yields greater fitness, signaled to potential mates, yields more opportunities to copulate, yields more offspring to continue your DNA's winding trajectory, yields goodness, hip hip hooray. Regardless of the real reasons, be they genetic, mimetic, alien or sorcery, knowing them doesn't actually help you live a happier life, let alone remove any sort of existential dread about your place in the cosmos. After all, explanations are just thoughts, more stories that bring about yet another flurry of bodily sensations. Now, I would argue that at bottom, you have no idea why you want the things you want or don't want the things you don't want. You have no real idea why police brutality, say, or the biased media landscape causes your pelvic floor to clench up, or why specific angles of metal and sheens of paint on a vehicle somehow bring a warm hum to your forehead. All you have are the stories you tell yourself about why you think you want the sensations. Whether it's neo-Darwinism or God's will, doesn't matter. The ground truth for feelings and desires are unknown. It just is. Sensations simply happen at the time and place that they happen. They are merely the most recent expression of a complex and unfolding universe. Stay with me here. What are sensations exactly? Objectively, they're very likely the transfer of action potentials within your nervous system, or the byproduct of cellular activity. And sure, this explanation could be helpful for developing new medicines and technologies, but again, it's not helpful when getting at the heart of suffering, an exclusively subjective phenomenon. Instead, we need to know what sensations are like experientially, from your first-person point of view. Try to feel the inside of your right hand. Without labeling the experience, just place your attention on the center of your palm, close your eyes, and feel what there is to feel. How would you describe this part of your body as an observer? Buzzing, maybe? Humming? A feeling of aliveness? Agreed. Sensations, from the first-person point of view, are just a series of vibratory patterns. Double-check that theory for yourself. Bring attention elsewhere, maybe to your heart area. Close your eyes, if they aren't still closed, and tune in. What do you feel? Maybe fluttering? Anger, love, fear, not quite sure. Any honest answer is correct. Try to go deeper, though. Those are just words. What is the feeling of love or calm or fear like? 
The best answer that I found, at least, is vibration. Sensations seem to have some sort of frequency, speed, amplitude, which is to say strength, and direction to them. And what is vibration scientifically? It's a moving wave, one with a crest and a valley, one with a high point and a low point, one with ups and one with downs. Both physicists and yogis agree that the whole universe is just a series of these shifting energetic frequencies. Vibration happens everywhere, all the time, at all scales. Vibration happens on a quantum and atomic level, light and electrons, and their corresponding electric and magnetic fields that make up your phone screen. It happens on a mechanical level, with the changing of air pressures that make up this very audio. It happens on a meteorological level, in the eye and perimeter of a hurricane. It happens on a cosmic level, with the positional fluctuations of the Milky Way, as we all rocket through the infinite void. And it even happens on a mental level, as is shown in an fMRI when patients or research participants are asked to think. Naturally, then, vibration happens throughout the entire physical body, too. Sensations, aka vibration, occur continuously on all parts of the body, whether we're consciously aware of them or not. Big toe, teeth, spleen, spinal cord, digestive juices, all of you is vibrating right now. Can you feel that? It might now make sense why desire for the arrival or cessation of a sensation will backfire. Because the nature of a wave is to rise and fall. Because a vibratory peak must come with a vibratory trough, everything you find pleasurable will eventually end. No matter how high you get, or how well crypto is doing, or how full body an orgasm becomes, or how sublime a vision or how optimistically you think, or how magnanimous your character, it won't last. All of it will decay and implode and be dismantled, just like the rest of the universe. Sure, this fact also technically means that all of life's unpleasantries will come to an end too, but I don't think that fact makes anyone feel better about their short and pointless existence. 